Amen. Good morning, guys. Really good to be together. I'm going to invite you to stand one more time because I want us to read our scripture passage together corporately as a body so we can hear each other's voices in unison, reading the word of God. And so we'll put the the words of these verses on the screens from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Read along with me as I read so that we can all read together this morning. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the living word of God for us today. Father, would you, through these words, help us know what it means to follow Jesus in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are, in our very lifetimes, experiencing a pretty significant historical cultural shift. Christianity is no longer the dominant cultural influence as it has been in the Western Hemisphere for many, many years. There's sort of a transition going on right now in our lifetimes from kind of a a modernist period, as historians would name it, to more of a postmodern or post-Christian kind of period. And so it's easy for us as people who take our faith seriously to feel like the earth is shifting under our feet, to feel this sense of disequilibrium. Um, What's our place in this world now? What is the call of Jesus on our lives in a culture that either, you know, thinks nothing of Christianity or, or thinks, well, you know, we tried Christianity as a culture and now we're, we've moved on past it or, or thinks we're foolish for having faith, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe the best question of all might be, how would Jesus call us to live in such a time and place as this? We've got several options as it relates to how we engage with the culture. We can fight against the culture. We can assimilate with the culture. We can retreat from the culture and kind of form our own Christian culture with separate spaces and separate institutions. Our passage this morning is a great text to anchor ourselves in as we're considering these kinds of questions. It gives us a framework, I believe, for what it means to be a Christian community in a world like ours. It answers the question that I think we're all kind of asking, either consciously or subconsciously. Where do we fit? What's our place? What are we called to? Now, just to take you back a couple of weeks, and really the past two weeks, Lloyd and I have been uh, teaching line by line the Beatitudes, which is the opening section, maybe the most well-known section of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And to put it in context for you, Jesus is turning the whole world upside down in this sermon, and he starts by saying, the people that are really well off in the kingdom of God are not the people that you think. And oh, by the way, the kingdom of God is not just heaven far off there someday in the future. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is at hand, present tense, at his arrival. And it's, as we talked about two weeks ago, it's an already not yet kingdom. It's here and it's not yet here. And we'll talk about that more in just a little bit. But the important thing to remember about the Beatitudes is Jesus is describing the kind of people that are blessed or well-off, flourishing, full of life, full of vitality in 
Jesus' kingdom, not the kingdom of the world, but in Jesus' kingdom, these are the people that are really well off. And then last week, Lloyd took us to the end of that. And, and some would say the, the apex of the Beatitudes, which is blessed are you when men persecute you for my sake, for Jesus' sake. And so Jesus is reminding them, listen, living life on this planet in a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, won't be easy. You're even going to be persecuted, but make no mistake, in the persecution, you will find life. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. So Jesus then goes on. He moves past the Beatitudes, which is the description of the well-off people in the kingdom, the blessed ones of the kingdom. And now, remember, he's talking to the people that he just described, the meek, the merciful. He chose these people that were nothings by society's standards in order to be the ones that herald this message. And he says to them, now you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's giving them two word pictures to know what it means to live out the Beatitudes in the broken culture around them. This is why we need this text this morning. Now, to understand the passage, we obviously have to understand the analogies, salt, light. And there's a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of water has passed under the bridge between AD 30-ish, you know, Jesus' time, and 2020, and not to mention the fact that we're living in a very different culture, different geography. So we have to do some cultural bridging with these analogies. And the first thing that we have to go back to to really understand what it means to live as salt and light is to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Because Jesus is saying you are to represent the kingdom as salt, as light on the earth. So let's talk a bit more about the kingdom. And I want to give you an illustration that has helped me so much. I wish I could say that this was uh, an original of mine, but, but I'm not this good. This is from the Bible Project, bibleproject.com. We've played you some of their videos before. They're just doing really, really good animation work. They're teaching the Bible. This is not a video, but it is an illustration from one of their videos. We'll put this on the screen, kind of this opening image. You see here, heaven and earth, we tend to think of it this way, and the Bible tends to describe it this way most of the time. Think about heaven, in essence, as God space, and think about earth as human space. This is typically how we think about it. Um, God is up there, so to speak. Now, theologically, we know he's actually everywhere, but by and large, his throne is in heaven. You know, it's where the angels are glorifying him always, and we're here on earth. So you got this idea of God space and human space, and the Bible uses terms like this to sort of describe these things. However, when Jesus arrives, he blurs the two spaces. Check, check this out. What Jesus actually does when he comes on the earth is he creates a third space, a space of overlap between heaven and earth. In other words, a place on the earth where God is actually in charge. That is the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, those phrases are used interchangeably. Think about the kingdom as the overlapping space where heaven and earth meet, where God's space meets human space, where God's will is done on the earth because God is in charge. God is in control. Now, it makes perfect sense to think about Jesus this way because Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus himself is the kingdom in essence. Jesus himself is the incarnation of God. 
Fully God, fully, fully man. So when he starts teaching, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How can he say the kingdom is at hand? Because he is here. Now, let me finish the biblical story for you. There will come a day where heaven and earth will completely and fully overlap. And that's going to look something like this. And this is Revelation chapter 21, where John says, behold, I saw the great city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from the clouds and resting on the earth. And it says God's presence will be with his people and he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes and et cetera, et cetera. This is our future. Guys, it's important for you to know that when you die, well, I won't get into all the complexities of that because when you die now, you are instantly with Jesus, with God, if your faith is in Jesus Christ. There will come a day in the future where we're not gonna be living like in disembodied spirits in heaven. We're gonna be living in new bodies on a new recreated earth that is actually the merger of heaven and earth. That's what Revelation 21, 22 paint a picture of. Now, not there yet. This is where we are. This is where we are. So let me, again, let me just write, write this on here to make this really clear. This is the kingdom. And, and now, now here's, here's where this gets to be money for this passage, in, in my, my opinion. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want you to represent the overlap of heaven and earth on the earth. In other words, represent my kingdom on the earth as salt. Okay, use your imagination, that's salt and as light. This is your role on this planet. Notice I use purple because this is the kingdom. We are to give people a taste of the kingdom, i.e. salt, and we are to show visibly the kingdom, i.e. light, on this earth while we're awaiting the kingdom to come in full, which is the merger of those two spaces. So just like Jesus was in essence the kingdom of God in a visible, tangible form. Now we, as his body, represent the kingdom of God on the earth. And this is such an interesting theology to think about, and it has powerful implications for us. Dallas Willard, uh, in, in a great book called The Divine Conspiracy, he defined the kingdom of God this way. The kingdom of God is wherever what God wants done is done. I like that definition because a kingdom is the geographical boundaries of a king's rule. So the kingdom of God is the boundaries of God's rule on this planet. So wherever what God wants done gets done, that's a place where he's on the throne. That's an expression of the kingdom. And so you start seeing powerful personal implications for my life, for your life. A am I an agent of the kingdom? Am I a visible representative? Am I salt? Am I light on the earth for the sake of Jesus? It reminded me of a, a quote, and, and I'll end this illustration with this, and then we'll, we'll move back into the text proper. I shared this quote with you two weeks ago when we talked about the Beatitudes. It's worth rereading in light of this salt and light image. Leave that on the screen while I read this quote, if you don't mind. Here's what N.T. Wright says. When God takes charge, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek and the poor and the hungry for justice people and the merciful and the peacemakers. And by the time the people with the tanks and the guns have realized what's going on, the meek and the merciful and the poor in heart have established schools and orphanages and hospitals and all sorts of projects in the name of Jesus in order to show what it looks like when God becomes king. That last phrase is the key, in order to show what it looks like when God becomes king. Guys, we're to be salt and light in order to show what it looks like 
in our culture on this planet when God becomes king, when God is king. Not some political party, not some movement, not some political correct whatever. When God becomes king, this is what life looks like. That's our job, and we're the only ones called to do it and the only ones that can do it. We are salt and we are light. Okay, I could probably end there, and I think you get the passage, but I wanna unpack these metaphors a little more. So if you don't mind, you can take this illustration off the screen, and let's talk about salt and light, and then we'll do a little more application. Uh, salt, I've got some with me somewhere. Okay, here it is in my basket. Uh, salt shaker, when you and I think of salt, I'm thinking of like my scrambled eggs this morning or, you know, whatever. They, they use the potato chip illustration. It's essentially just a flavoring seasoning for us. It was in Jesus' time as well, but more importantly than a seasoning, it was a preservative and, and still is used this way today, but we're not dependent on it for a preservative like they were. Guys, think about life before refrigeration, before you could freeze food, before you could keep things. I mean, think about the, how quickly meat spoils and they didn't understand all what that we know now about bacteria. All they knew is if you killed an animal to eat and you kept that meat longer than a day or two, it was gonna make people really sick and could even kill you. So the ancient Egyptians, it goes back at least, at least to the ancient Egyptians, which is long before uh, Jesus, long before Jesus, uh, they discovered that you could put salt on meat and it would, uh, it would preserve the meat. And if you do it right, you can preserve this meat for a really, really long time. You're essentially drying it out. You're, you're, you're creating a hostile environment for the bacteria is what we now know about this. And we still do this today, obviously. We're just not dependent upon it. So Jesus is essentially saying, you, the, the role that you are to play in the kingdom of God is you're to help prevent decay. You are a preservative. You really, really matter. And you're a seasoning, in essence. You're to create, you know, make life um, more flourishing. You know, hold back the decay and make life more flourishing. It's, it's not insignificant that salt is actually essential for life. I didn't know this until I did a little research on it. You know, I, we think about salt as a bad thing mostly because it's like you can have too much sodium in your diet and your blood pressure goes up and all those things. And that's true. But if you had not enough salt, if you had no salt, no sodium, you couldn't live. There's all kinds of things, your body, your cells, and all kinds of things that couldn't, couldn't happen, and you literally would die. Salt is essential to life. So Jesus is essentially saying to these people, you matter. And not just you're the, the salt of your little community here. You're the salt of the earth. I imagine these... Um, Fisherman and you know former tax collector and you know uh, and Mary Magdalene former prostitute and you know all all these people from very you know soiled backgrounds they they're, they're looking around they're like is he talking to us did some really good righteous people come in behind us when when we weren't looking and Jesus is actually talking to them no he's saying to these people you really matter I want to use you you all to bring about human flourishing. But notice there is a disclaimer. There is a, a bit of a condition. Let's, let's put that verse back on the screen if we can, verse 13. There is a but. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. The verse continues. It's no longer good for anything. That's okay. Don't, don't, welcome to fellowship, guys. Don't worry about that. Here's, here's where Jesus is going. Uh, salt actually can't lose its flavor. It's salt. 
Okay, so, so was Jesus just, you know, wrong scientifically? Um, here's what was going on in their culture. They didn't have pure sodium chloride like we do and put it in little, like, glass, really good jars all sealed up. They, they would keep, it was a mixture they would get primarily from the Dead Sea region, and it wouldn't have just sodium chloride in it. It had all kinds of other um, elements and, and, and sediments and things that, that had kind of been mixed in when they gathered it from the Dead Sea area. It would be put in these baskets, and over time, dust could get in, dirt could get in. Sometimes the mixture wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be as salty. So at some point, salt would get diluted and it was worthless and they would just throw it out into the street where all the animals were walking. And so Jesus is using this analogy. The most important characteristic of salt, you see, is its distinctiveness, is its saltiness. There's nothing else like it. How, what would, how would you describe salt other than it's salty? It's just salty. Jesus is telling his disciples, in order to bless the world, you must stay distinct from it. This is really significant. He's saying, how can you give a taste of God's kingdom? You know, th think about this imagery, guys. We're to give an appetizer of, of the, the, the union of heaven and earth that is to come in our future. We are to be an appetizer of that. And so what Jesus is saying is, how can you be an appetizer? How can you be a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven if you're not distinct from the broken systems and the prejudices and the power struggles of the world around you? You are the salt of the earth. So you must stay salty, stay distinct. Don't be diluted. That's the first analogy. Let's go to the second one. You are the light of the world. Now I've got in here a, a lantern here, a camping lantern, and uh, this is kind of a, just a really lovely, bright color. I can keep going. Woo! That's as bright as it goes. Now, I got to turn that down because it's going to bother me. I was going to keep it right there. If you go camping, which my family loves to do, and you get out away from the city enough that it gets real dark. You guys know what I mean, real dark. Especially if it's, you know, the, the moon's not out or maybe it's a cloudy night. Guys, you, you cannot survive and out there without light. You just can't. And so you bring your flashlight, you bring your lantern. It's just so easy for us. But think about back then. You know, if they weren't able to light a lantern, if they weren't able to have flame, if they weren't able to have fire, they're in big trouble for all kinds of reasons. Not to mention when you consider the light of the, the earth, the light of the world, the sun, in essence, uh, is the analogy Jesus is kind of giving here. Think about photosynthesis. Think about all of life is ultimately dependent upon light. So again, Jesus is saying, you really matter. But this time, instead of saying, you're, you're here to give people a taste and to be a preservative of the uh, uh, you know, uh, fight against decay, he's, he's now saying, you're here to show them something they can't see without you. What is it that they need to see? what it looks like when God is in charge, the kingdom of God. They, they need to see the kingdom of God in this dark, messed up, broken world. And if we can't express it, who will? Because when God, when, when people actually see God's rule embodied by beatitude type people, they're drawn to it. It's not like anything they're used to. It's beautiful, it's attractive, it's warm and inviting, it's compelling because Jesus himself is at the center of it, the true light of the world. 
Now, just like the salt metaphor came with a condition, the light metaphor comes with a condition as well. You know, what Jesus is essentially saying in verse 15 is, you know, he's like, listen, no, nobody would put a basket over a light. They wouldn't go to the trouble to, to light a lantern and put a basket over it, would they? What happens? It's pointless. It's useless. Now, this is safe because it's a battery-powered lantern, but if I had a, what they would have had, an oil-burning flame lantern, that would be a terrible idea, but the, the bigger point is it's pointless. Uh, I'm just going to leave that out of there. It's still on, but it's not doing us any good. Now, the focus here seems to me that Jesus is saying you're meant to be a visible expression of what it looks like when God is in charge. So if you're not out there, if you're not expressing good works for people to see visibly, how will they see? It's important that I tell you what good works are in this context. In this context, good works are not moral purity. Now, that matters, that's important, and that, that's a part of it, but Jesus is not talking about moral purity in this context. In other words, he's not saying, well, um, you know, don't, don't cuss and don't lie and don't cheat, and then they'll see your good works. It's, it's not so much that. He's saying, go out and do things. Go out and work for Jesus-centered values. Go out and fight for justice in the right context in the name of Jesus when you, when you see problems that, that should be corrected. Go out and, and build things that bring glorify, glory to God. Go out and serve people. As Eric was talking about earlier, we're going to be doing that as a community. I hope, I sure pray our community will take notice because it's not about us, guys. It's about glory to God, the Father in heaven. I like the way D.A. Carson, another really brilliant Bible scholar, he put it this way. He's talking about how we are a witness of Jesus through our good works, through tangible acts, expressions of the kingdom of God on the earth. By the way, before I read this quote, this thought just occurred to me, and you guys get that good extra stuff that I don't think of in the first service, so here you go. Think about Jesus' miracles for a minute, all those good works of Jesus. Multiplying bread to hungry people, calming a storm that was out of control, healing broken bodies, casting out demonic influence. Those were all things that were little bitty expressions of what the world will be like when God is fully in charge. There'll be no more storms. There'll be no more diseases. There'll be no more demons. There will be none of that. You see, Jesus was making something invisible visible in these little bitty places. Now, we don't have miraculous powers, but, but what Jesus is actually saying is, collectively, as a body of Christ, you're called to the same things. Show people what, it, what the world should look like in a place where all they see is darkness. So here's what D.A. Carson says about this. For a variety of reasons, Christians have lost this vision of witness and are slow to return to it. But in better days in other lands, the faithful and divinely empowered proclamation of the gospel so transformed men and women that they in turn became the light of the world. Prison reform, medical care, abolition of slavery, abolition of child labor, 
establishment of orphanages, reform of the penal code. In all these areas, the followers of Jesus spearheaded the drive for righteousness. The darkness was alleviated. And this, I submit, has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned with personal prestige and more concerned with the norms of the kingdom. I I got really convicted this week when I dwelled on that quote for me personally. And I started changing the last phrase to fit some things in my heart and some things I see around us. So so listen to this. This has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned with personal comfort and more concerned with the norms of the kingdom. Or this has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned about political correctness and more concerned about the norms of the kingdom. This has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned about cultural power and more concerned with the norms of the kingdom. This has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned about You fill in the blank. And more concerned with the norms of the kingdom. We are called to be salt. We are called to be light. The kingdom of God is meant to be our first priority. Later in the sermon, we'll get to that beautiful verse, you know, that says, seek first the kingdom and all the other things will be added to you. Let's put the two metaphors together and then apply them for a few minutes. Here's how I would say it. As salt, Christians must be distinct from the world. As light, Christians must be visible in it. That's a good tension to hold. Do you feel the tension in that? As salt, we must be distinct from the world, but as light, we must be visible in it. This is our place. You wanna know what our place is in this changing culture around us? Here you go. Distinct from it and visible in it. Now, the the, the two metaphors I think are going to help us fight against two dangerous tendencies that I see right now in our church and the church in my own heart. And I want to get really direct, and I may step on some toes, and it's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm called to preach God's word. And so let, let me apply this the way that I see it. The first thing is I believe as a church, the church universal, particularly in America, and including our own fellowship here, I believe we've largely lost our saltiness. We have largely lost our distinctiveness. And I, you know, the first thing that comes to your mind is, yeah, that's probably true. Like we're just living like the world. Like, you know, the, the studies show there, there are as many um, divorces in the church as out of the church. There's many uh, people that are struggling with porn in the church as out of the church. There's many people that do this in and out of the church. And, and all those things, it's, it's not less than that, but, but I want to go beyond that as well. All those are really, really, really big deal. But Here's something that's been bothering me in my own heart. Our culture right now, guys, is living in what I would describe as a self-destructive dualism. In other words, it's, it's this you against me, us against them. The pattern of the world right now is you're either liberal or conservative. You are either pro this or you are anti that. You are either for individual freedom, or you are for social justice. You are either pro-Trump, or you are never Trump. You are either a mask wearer, or you are a mask hater. I mean, these categories that our world has put everybody in. You see this? And yeah, we only have two political parties, and we need to operate within that system. And I get, I get all this. It's hard. It's not hard. But I do want to just challenge us and call us to this. As citizens of an alternative kingdom, we must somehow be distinct from the patterns of the world. 
In other words, we can't just look like this or that. We can't be that easy to categorize. I want you to think about Jesus in his day. There were all kinds of political factions and religious factions. Um, there were the Pharisees, and they were all in on the laws, just like moral purity, moral purity, live right, live right, live right. Then there were the Essenes. The Essenes retreated back from society, and it's just like, we're, we're, we're going to be our own little thing, and we're going to obey God in our own little thing and not let the world influence us. And then there were the Zealots. Zealots were like, we're going to take over. We're going to fight against Rome. We're going to build this kingdom here because God wants us to fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus did not fit those categories. He was something new. What would it be like for us to be something new? And the hard part is, and this is what breaks my heart, is the world thinks they already know us. The world thinks, oh, we know what Christians are. lost our saltiness. Second, I think sometimes our instinct is to retreat too much from the world in an attempt to stay clean from it. And this is what Jesus meant by don't, don't hide. You know, don't, don't hide under, under a basket. I, I love living in this area for a lot of reasons, but we've got a lot of great Christian stuff. We've got great Christian schools, we've got great Christian radio stations, we've got great Christian all this stuff, and I'm not against any of that. Please do not hear me be saying that, but we need to make sure that not only are we distinct from the world, we are also in the world, engaging the world, light in the world. And so here's what I think this might mean. Our world, our culture, needs our good works. In other words, we need Christian lawyers, distinctively Christian, Christ-centered lawyers, engaging issues of justice in our community. We need Christian medical providers, distinctively Christian, Jesus-loving medical providers caring for the sick. We need Christian teachers in our public and private, Christian, non-Christian schools, homeschools, all of it, all these areas. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian artists producing art that embodies the values of God's kingdom. We need Christian social workers looking out for those who slip through the cracks in the name of Jesus. And I know you can't always be like Jesus first in your, with your words, but guys, we have to be light in our community. Our good works must shine through. We need Christians in every level and sphere of our society deeply engaged in the world. And that doesn't have to always look big, guys. Sometimes that's just small, like with your neighbor, you know, in your workplace, you know, et cetera, et cetera deeply engaged in the world in order to show anyone who takes notice what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven is at hand because in Jesus Christ it is. Here's the big idea, and the band's out here because we're gonna reflect for a few minutes and I wanted them out here to help us with that. Here's the big idea. In order to offer the world a taste and a glimpse of the coming kingdom of Jesus, we must become an alternative community of Jesus-shaped people who engage the culture in distinct and visible ways. An alternative community of Jesus-shaped people who engage the culture in distinctive and visible ways. And I want you to apply that to you. And so in order to help you apply this to you, we're gonna put a question on the screen and you'll have about two minutes just to meditate, think, and pray about this. And make it as personal as you're able to. Where does the world need salt and light right now? And how can you, through following Jesus, provide it? Let's consider this.